Well, good morning again. For those of you still online with us, welcome, 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 welcome. We're so glad you're here this morning. Um, just to recap real quick, we started a new series last week from the book of Philippians called Finding Joy in an Anxious World. And when I first saw this picture, it, it just reminded me of where it seems like our world is right now at this moment, just at that tipping point where any moment it could just fall off the ledge, literally, and just everything fall apart with so much tension, so much anxiety, so many things going on in our world. And we started this book of Philippians, which is written by a guy named Paul, and he writes this from a place where he is in house arrest in Rome. So Paul is quarantined, which relates pretty well to us right now at this moment, because for many of us, we've experienced that literally over the past six months. Do you realize we're over six months into this journey right now with COVID. And I don't know about you, but for me, I thought when all of this came up that we'd be home for a couple of weeks and then we'd have this big Sunday where we all came back and everyone was here and we were celebrating and we were laughing and we were hugging and we were talking about that thing that happened. But yet somehow this thing just kind of lingers on. And it doesn't fully go back to normal, and you don't really know, well, do I say hi and shake your hand or give you a hug or give you an elbow bump or kick your foot or just stay at a distance because you might have been around someone who had COVID. It's such a weird time in our world right now. But through this book, Paul, who's in quarantine, writes this letter, and over and over and over, he uses this word kara, which means joy or rejoicing or gladness. Nineteen times this word or some derivative of this word appears in these four short chapters. And Paul is in this, the midst of this, what seems like would be crisis, talking about joy, trying to encourage this group of believers who are facing similar circumstances to the things that he is going through right now in his life. And so last week what we said was there was a way that we fight back, we push back against some joy stealers. And there are these four things that steal joy in our life, circumstances, people, comparison, and worry. They have the ability to just kind of suck the breath, suck the life out of you and steal your joy. And the way that we combat it, we say we're going to have each week these words. These words we're going to add to our vocabulary. And they aren't new words by any means. These are words that you use every single day of your life. You talk about them. But they're words that if we will center our lives as followers of Jesus around them, they will transform and they will shape us. And I believe have the ability, the power to give us greater joy. So last week we talked about the word gratitude and how important it is to have gratitude. And, and this midweek I did a, a short video, I hope some of you got a chance to see it, but talked about the importance again of gratitude because gratitude reminds us of the reality of God's goodness in our life. And so easy to be scrolling through Facebook, to be watching the news and constantly seeing all that's wrong in the world, all that's, that's not positive, and all that, that just makes us worry and fret over everything. 
But when we look back and we are grateful for what God has done, it reminds us of the reality of God's goodness. Because your anxiety is always about what could happen in the future. It's never about what has happened. It's always about what could happen, and so it reminds us. And Paul says he's grateful. He's grateful for the partners and the partakers of grace. Those people that are joining him on this journey as they follow Jesus. And here's the crazy thing. He's grateful for these partners and partakers even though they're hundreds of miles away. They're in another city. They're in another place. For us, we're in different locations this morning. There's a group here at our campus But there are groups all over this city, state, and for that matter, world, who are joining us, who are partners and partakers with us in this journey as we follow Jesus. So gratitude becomes this portal into where we see the evidence of the goodness of God all around. So this week, Paul is is again writing this letter, and I want to reemphasize this. He's writing a letter to a specific group of people. And this specific group of people knows what's going on in Paul's life. They know that he's in prison. They know he's going through some really difficult circumstances. And so he's writing this letter, and one of the things he's doing is assuring them that he's okay. And they've even sent one of the people from their church, their home church, their, their collection of, of these followers of Jesus, to Rome to bring an offering and a gift to Paul to take care of him and to provide for him, to make sure he's doing okay. And he wants them to know a really profound truth that's so important that I think deep down we all know, but mentally we struggle to grasp it. And we believe that there is this direct correlation between what happens to us and what kind of person you are, right? Good things happen to good people, and bad things happen to bad people. And if God is with you and God is for you, then everything in your life is going to be okay, and everything is going to work out, and everything's going to go smoothly, and you're going to not have any difficulties or hard times. And Paul wants them to know, as he's sitting in a prison cell, be really careful because that is really destructive theology. It's really destructive theology because there are going to be times that bad things happen to good, Jesus-centered, Christ-imitating people. People that look like and are striving to look like Jesus every single day of their life, and there are bad things that are going to happen. Anyone in here know of someone who loves and follows Jesus and yet has gone through unspeakable hardships and losses. Anyone? And here's the problem with that theology. And we, we say it so often. Right? Good things will happen and someone will say, well, you must be living right. 
And it's just this low-level, kind of under-the-surface theology that we never really talk about. But if we're not careful, that becomes our theology. My mom had a friend, and I just remember vaguely about this in high school, but her daughter got really sick. And she started trying to figure out what it was in her life that caused it. What, what was the reason this? I must have done something that this would happen. Listen, those bad things, God never causes them. Now, now listen, there might be times that what you experience is consequence, but it's never the cause. Right? When we make a bad decision, when we choose to disobey God, there might be consequences for it. But I don't think God causes this to happen. It's a consequence. And, and the, the hard truth is, sometimes it's the consequence of someone else. And you have absolutely nothing to do with it. We have a friend who lost a child to a, and a child and a grandchild to a drunk driver. It, it was someone else's disobedience that caused consequences for them. And, and so we have to be really clear, and that's what Paul is trying to point out. There's not this direct correlation to who you are, what you do, and what happens to you. And the, the believing that would give great pain to your life. And it would make this journey with Jesus very difficult. So, so what is it in the midst of these difficult times? What is it that we would look at with Paul sitting in a prison cell or in quarantine in a house with a guard stationed there, not allowing him to leave, what is it that Paul would say, well, this isn't a direct correlation, but it has a purpose? And, and that's the word I want to spend a little bit of time with this morning is purpose. Because in our life, we want the pain we experience to have a purpose. Right? Some of the greatest stories you've heard um, it is people who have experienced incredible pain, but yet their pain had a purpose in their life and forming them in who, who they are. So Paul says this in chapter 1, verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served a purpose of advancing the gospel. I, I want you to know that what has happened is served a purpose of advancing the gospel. And as a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. What, what has happened to me, there is purpose in it. It's actually become a good thing. You look at it and say, well, Paul must not be living right. God might not be on his side. There might be a problem. But Paul says, no, this is okay, because even in spite of my circumstances, the gospel is being proclaimed. And as a result, 
Go back to verse 13 for me, sorry. As a result, it become clear to everyone that these chains have a purpose. So verse 14, he says this, And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. And so not only is it a good thing, it's a good thing on a couple of different levels. There are these people that are holding me in chains, who have placed me in this house, who are watching over me, not allowing me to do things, and they're actually starting to believe the story of Jesus that I'm telling them because they see what incredible faith I have. But even more so, there are these other people who are not inside this house with me that keep hearing rumors of what's happening inside this place where I'm in house arrest, and they're becoming more bold as they talk about what Jesus is doing. Now, I don't know about you, but when I look at my circumstances, as difficult as they are at times, I never... I never have the ability to step back and look and say, you know what, this is really bad, but let me tell you what God is doing through this. It's usually years later, months later, that I look back and I say, wow, well, God was doing some amazing thing. It's not in the middle of the jail cell. It's not in the middle of the storm that we say, you know what? my circumstances are terrible right now. I I can't stand where, I I can think of a thousand different places I would rather be than here. But let me tell you, in the midst of this, God is leading people to Jesus through my circumstances, through my chains, right? God, God has the ability to use crazy inanimate objects for people's salvation, Right? Moses, what's in your hand? I have a staff. Gideon, what do you have? We have some jars that we can break. David, what do you have? I have a little sling. Paul, what do you have? I have some chains. And somehow, God is working with what he has, what's been handed to him to bring about restoration and renewal. It's purpose. Mark Twain um, once wrote, the, the two most important days in your life are the day that you're born and the day that you find out why. And all of us have that day that we're born. We, we know that. We celebrate it every single year. But, but for some, we spend our entire life searching for why. Why is it that I am here? What is my purpose? And Paul's purpose in life was to advance the gospel. And and his purpose being to advance the gospel, his chains were actually becoming a tool to help him do that. What we'd look at and say, well, that messes things up, and now he can't advance the gospel because he's stuck here, is actually being used to further the gospel. See, we said we want our pain to have a purpose. And I think what Paul understands is that what happens to him does not have a purpose, 
right? You want that, the loss to have a purpose. You want the death to have a purpose. You want the divorce to end up with a purpose. But, but all of those are just things that happen to you. They're circumstances. But what Paul is certain of is that his life has a purpose. Because if your life has a purpose, you will repurpose whatever happens to you for the glory and honor of Christ. So so these things that happen to us, the loss, the death, the, the loss of a job, the difficult circumstances, the, the transition from one job to another. All of them, we look at and we say, we want purpose in that. Well, here's the thing. Those are just things that happen. In and of themselves, they do not have a purpose. But if your life has purpose, then you will repurpose what happens. You will repurpose that pain for the glory of Christ. You will use it to advance the gospel. See, Paul is certain of his purpose. He's got that right. That His eyes are fixed on his purpose. And when you have that purpose, I believe it's evident to everyone. It's evident to everyone who sees that there is purpose in his life. But the other thing that purpose does is it inspires others to action. Paul Paul sees his chains as a way to advance the gospel. And he's so certain of it. It's evident to everyone in the palace guard that he's in chains for Christ. And not only that, it's inspiring other people to act. It's inspiring them to move and to be more bold in their faith. So going on, he says in verse 15, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. So so there's love that becomes the, the foundation. And then going on, he says this, The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in change. What what he's getting at is there is this group of people that loves their purpose in Christ because Christ has loved them and died for them and given them life, and they are preaching Christ out of love. But there is another group who says, well, Paul's now in chains, and he's not on center stage, and he's not the big leader, so I'm going to use Paul's chains as an advantage for me because this is really about me. Now, now here's what's fascinating about that, because we would look at, and we would say, well, look at his motives are wrong, because we talked about that back in Matthew, right? Motives matter. Why you do what you do matters. It's important. But here's what Paul says going on. But what does it matter? Really? What does it matter? What do you mean, what does it matter? The important thing is that every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. So so is Paul saying, well, motives don't matter? No, motives still matter. They matter to the person. They matter to you. But for Paul's purpose 
of the gospel going forward and Jesus being proclaimed, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter who's standing up on the stage. It doesn't really matter who's in the lights. It doesn't matter who has the microphone or the megaphone or whatever it is they use. It, it doesn't matter. As long at the end of the day, Christ is proclaimed. Now, here, here's the crazy part about this. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. Motives are something that's really difficult to handle. Because at the end of the day, the only people or the only person who knows your motives is you. Right? You don't get to wear them as a sign on your chest. Like We don't have motives t-shirts that tell us, hey, my motives, they're about selfish ambition. They're about making a name for my... No one ever knows. But I think what Paul understands is that eventually people see. They see by the fruit that comes from your life. They see by the relationships that you have. They see by the people who gather around you and the type of fruit that you're producing. They will see. But when you're standing there, no one knows. No one knows what your motives are except for you. And Paul sees this beautiful, or I guess we would call it a crisis, as something beautiful. Because his purpose is to advance the gospel and take that message into all the world. And if that's my purpose, then whatever happens to me, I will try to repurpose, to re-gear towards the advancement of the gospel. Because that's what my life is about. And so in the, the last part of verse 18, he says, yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know, and, and he keeps using this word know. I know, not, not just here, but here. I know that through your prayers and God's provision, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether life or in life or death. Continuing on. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I, I, I would love to stay here with you and serve and continue, but if Rome decides that I'm put to death, then I go and I'm with Christ. And that is the great reward. That is what I would find such joy in. But I also find great joy that I'm here with you fulfilling a purpose that's bigger than me. Right? At the end of the day, isn't that what all of us desire? Is to do something, to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself. 
leading, serving, sharing towards this common purpose. If I am to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I am to remain in the body. Verse 24, um, convinced of this, 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and the joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Paul has this crisis. And we would assume the crisis is him sitting in chains under house arrest. Him going to stand trial. But his crisis is a choice to live or to die. Okay, He's going to Rome to stand trial before Caesar who will decide his fate. Yet Paul says, I'm struggling with this choice. Do I live or do I die? Who's on trial? Because I've I've watched some, some courtroom scenes. Some of you guys in here are lawyers. I've never seen a trial where the defendant, the one accused of a crime, is sitting up there saying, you know, judge, I'm not real sure today if I want to be found guilty and set free, I'm sorry, guilty and go to prison, or innocent and set free. I haven't, I haven't decided yet. Because in all of my, my time watching trials, and I haven't, I haven't seen a ton of them. There's some, some ones on YouTube I'll, I'll watch occasionally that just because there's a fight in the courtroom or something like that. I've never seen one, though, where the person on trial stood up and said, you know, I have a choice to make, and this is really difficult. But Paul... Going to stand trial before Caesar, the one who can say, okay, take off his head, hang him on a cross, crucify him by impaling him, rip him apart by horse. I mean, all these choices of ways to torture someone. And Paul says, I haven't, I haven't decided yet what I'm going to do. I'm not real sure. Who's on trial? Who, who is it that gets to make that choice? But here's what you have to understand. Paul has already died. There there was this moment in his life where he encounters Jesus and he loses his sight. And three days later, he's restored and he goes and he is baptized into Christ. In every letter, he continues to talk about what it means to be in Christ. That I was baptized into him and I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. That's what Stephen did this last week. He died and he was rose again. We're going to have another baptism a little later this morning, and someone's going to die, 
And then they're going to be raised to a new life. And if you've already died, then when you stand trial, you do have a choice. Am I going to continue on? I've already died. The choice is, am I going to continue with Christ? Or am I going to continue here? I don't know how that's going to go. And in Paul's mind, he has a pretty good sense. He says, I think I'm going to end up staying here. It's almost as if it's his choice, but it's not his choice. But what matters is his purpose. And because his purpose is so certain, whatever happens, whether in life or death, whether in prison or free, it will be to advance the gospel for the glory of God Almighty. So to live is Christ, to die is gain. Going on in verse 27, he says this, Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Then whether I come to see you or hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Going on, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer with Him. Since you were going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now here I still have. So, so this church in Philippi is struggling with their own crisis of faith because there are people that are oppressing them and trying to put them in prison for what they believe. And, and Paul says that to believe was granted, but also to suffer was granted. And, and put that verse 30 back up there, or verse 29, I think. The word granted is the same root of the word grace. In, in other words, Paul says, for it has been graced to you on behalf of Christ. Not only to believe Him, but also to suffer for Him. I I don't know about you, but I really like this part. And if we could just take this out, that would be great. I, I like the believing in Christ saving. And I do think of that as something God has graced me with. But I don't think of my suffering is something God is gracing me with. Could it be in the most difficult times in your life, when it seems like everything is falling apart, that somehow God's grace is being poured out upon you? And could it be that in those unthinkable times, as difficult as they could be, that somehow God is using that moment to further His kingdom? Could it be that the grace He is extending to you in that moment 
is grace that He is extending to others. You know, over the last six months, we've gone through some really difficult times. For, for parents, your world has been flipped upside down. And, and here's what I know about purpose. is at different times in your life, different seasons, your purpose may shift. For, for instance, when you are single, and you go from single to being married, your purpose is going to shift. And when you go from being a young couple to having children, your purpose shifts. For, for me right now, I believe our purpose is to shepherd our children and make them and help them grow into the image of Christ every single day. It's not to make them successful. It's not to make them good members of society. It's to form them into the image of Christ. Because if we can do that, a lot of those other things are going to happen as well. And so right now, the way that we've always done things has shifted because of COVID. But our purpose has not shifted. Our purpose to shepherd our children and help them to grow into the image of Christ is still the same. And the circumstances that we're having to do that within right now is different. For, for some of you, you're now homeschool parents. And you never thought you would be a homeschool parent. Your, your circumstances, the, the way that you practice, your, your methods, they may have changed. But your purpose and mission is still the same. As a young couple, or as an older couple, to love your spouse as Christ loved the church is your purpose. And hopefully through that, as you're growing closer to one another, that that love and that grace is flowing out of your life into the lives of people around you. You still have a purpose, regardless of the circumstances. And when your life has a purpose, you will repurpose everything that happens for the glory and goodness of God. And I was trying to figure out a great way to illustrate this to end. And I had nothing when I left the office Thursday. And then Tony Fears emailed me a link to a video. And I hadn't seen it before. Um... But I thought it illustrated so beautifully and perfectly exactly what it looks like for the pain that we experience to re, be repurposed for the glory of Christ. So watch this. My name is Haley Smith. My husband Cody and I live here in College Station. We've been here about four years and we have a son named Eli. When Eli turned one years old, we found out that we were expecting our second son. We decided to buy a house. Life really couldn't have gotten any better. It was just an easy pregnancy, no concerns, no complications until about 35 weeks. 
when um, there was one night where I just wasn't feeling much movement. We did an ultrasound, a doctor and the nurses came in, everyone was really concerned. The doctor basically told me that our baby was in severe distress. We were having a C-section right now. Our son was delivered. We found out we had a boy. We actually did not have a name picked out. My husband's favorite name was Jeremiah, but we just did not agree on a name until he was born. And, um, and we were in the NICU, and I, I remember looking over at Cody, and I told him, I said, his name should be Jeremiah. That morning, around 7 a.m., uh, he just kept trying to, um, just trying to go. The nurses put him on my chest, and we just, we got to hold him for the first time. My dad just laid his hands on us and just said the most beautiful prayer. And it was just one of those moments you never want to experience, but at the same time, like, just handing over your, your child to his maker. It was just beautiful at the same time. The week that Jeremiah was born, um, we had somebody reach out to us and sent us this verse from the book of Jeremiah. And it's Jeremiah 1, verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, you were set apart. And that verse was just such a comfort to me, especially that week, just knowing that our son was set apart. He was chosen for glory. We were chosen as his parents. That is our son's verse. That first week, I mean, there's just so much that started to come together um, that really brought us a lot of comfort and a lot of hope. My dad came to me and he said, um, Haley, you know, we're gonna need a place to go after, after the funeral. At the time, we weren't members of a church. Um, we had been visiting the A&M Church of Christ, and we just hadn't we hadn't made an effort to get plugged in. One individual at the church knew our names, had added me on Facebook. So when my dad asked me that question, I told him, I said, "Well, I mean, you can call the A&M Church. I mean, surely they have a room or something." somewhere we can go and when he called somebody that answered the phone said it's already been planned and we never even had to ask and we just already felt like we had a church home I remember just being woken up in the middle of the night having the Lord whisper in my ear just reminding me of his truth, of his scriptures, um, of his promises. And um, I was able to, to share that with my family. I was able to share that with my husband and encourage him. And even my parents, um, they would just look at me and, and ask me, you don't, why are you being so strong? You don't have to be so strong. 
and I would just tell them, it's, it's not me, it's, it's the Holy Spirit. It just amazes me how in the fire and the darkness that I was just able to cling to God's Word and the light. This year, just weeks after sweet Jeremiah's first heavenly birthday, we found out that we are expecting and I'm currently 20 weeks along with a healthy baby girl. There were days, months, where I truly, I truly believe that we would never have joy again, that we would never be happy again. We lost a child and we would never find joy and we have and we have a lot of joy and happiness in our family and we know that we will be with our son again someday God is good before our loss and God is still good and we just try to cling to his promises of heaven and eternity together Tony and Vicki. Isn't it amazing through the darkness and through the times that are so unspeakable that people who have a purpose somehow find a way to repurpose their pain for the glory of Christ. I, I don't know, for those of you this morning, Maybe you're hurting. Maybe you're going through some really difficult times. Maybe you're in the midst of the darkness and you would love someone just to pray with you. We're going to have our shepherds there. Um, I don't really know how we do COVID invitation. We want to offer a little more traditional invitation this morning, but um, we'll have some shepherds in the back of the room. I'm going to get some other shepherds to go to the gathering. If we could just pray for you. Um, we're going to have a baptism in just a moment as well. And if you've been thinking about that and wrestling with that and want to make that decision to follow Jesus, to be buried and, and raised again, we would offer you that opportunity. But right now, what is your purpose? What, what has God called you to do now in this season? And how are the things that are going on in our world and in your life being repurposed? for the glory of Christ. Father, today we pray that you would speak to each of us, that you would minister to us in the pain and the hardship and the hurt. Father, to find healing. But Father, also to find a passion and a purpose for our life, to glorify and honor the name of Jesus, to lift him up and to share him with this world. Father, we're grateful for the gift of love. Father, for the grace that you have graced us with, not only to believe, but Father, to suffer for your cause. And Father, we pray your grace be poured out on us today. In Jesus' name.